0: So good morning. Good to be back in class again today. Missed uh, class last week since it was spring break and so we'll pick up with our lesson today from uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. But before we do, we might need to just go back and do a little review so that we can catch up with our thinking from where we left off uh, in the previous lesson. You'll remember that we started out by defining the theology of Ephesians, which Paul had laid out quite carefully uh, in the first chapter from chapter 1, verse 3, down through to about verse 14. And the point that he'd made there was that God, before he founded, founded the world, had instituted a plan for his creation. We'll turn over now to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 so that we can just pick up the thought that Paul was developing. I'll be reading from the Revised Standard Version. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He destined us in love to be be his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. For He has made known to us, in all wisdom and insight, the mystery of His will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, in him, according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. We, who first hoped in Christ, have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of His glory. In Him you also, who have heard the Word of Truth, the Gospel of your salvation, and have believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now the point that we want to note here is that Paul is telling us that before God created anything, he had established a plan that in Christ Jesus, those who would come to him in faith would become God's children. And in this plan, the purpose that he had for us was that we were to live for the praise of his glory. And so as we look at this text, a magnificent text, and try to summarize what Paul is telling us here. He's simply saying that God's plan for us, which he created before the foundation of the world, was that in Christ Jesus we would so live our lives that we would bring glory to God through Christ and in the church. We mentioned last week a little brief discussion on predestination that we notice that Paul is telling us here that God predestined us. He had a plan that he decided before the foundation of the world that in Christ Jesus, we would be his children. Now, today there is a popular view among some religious organizations that we call predestination, which is actually not biblical predestination, but a Calvinistic form of predestination, which says that regardless of our choice, God had made a decision, without our choice being involved, that some would be saved and some would be lost. And so this is the common version of predestination that we hear. But biblical predestination is different. That's not what Paul was teaching us. Paul was not teaching the kind of predestination that, says we have no choice in the matter, that God just decided that some would be saved and some would be lost. Now, the foundation for this view of predestination can be summarized in an acronym, which is TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. Now, each of those letters stands for something. The T represents total depravity. This view believes that because of Adam, we have inherited that sin of Adam, and everyone that is born is born totally depraved. And involved with that then, there is a view of unconditional election. That when God decided to save someone, it was not based upon the condition of our choice. It was unconditional. God made the choice. And in that, there's a sense of limited atonement. The idea there is that the atonement that Jesus achieved was not an atonement for everyone, but only for those that God had decided that they would be saved, which is a little strange when we read over there in the beginning of John's uh, gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would be saved. And so, Limited atonement doesn't fit in with what the gospel is teaching us. Then the next point is irresistible grace. The point being there is that when God decides that someone's going to be saved, they have no choice to mount that. It's out of God's grace they're going to be saved. And then the last point is the perseverance of the saints, which sometimes we refer to as once saved, always saved, which again we have difficulty following. And so this concept of Calvinistic predestination is not what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 1 when he said God predestined us before the foundation of the world that in Christ Jesus we would have redemption and salvation, that in Christ Jesus we would be his children, and in Christ Jesus we would so live our lives that we would bring glory to God through Christ and through the church. And so we're going to pick up on that point very shortly as we move down into our text for today. Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 2 down through uh, verse 10. Let me just read to you, and I will be reading to you sort of from the uh, RSV, but also from the English Standard Version. Now, the RSV and the English Standard Version uh, present this a little differently, basically based upon the fact that there doesn't seem to be a noun in the sentence that defines where the action belongs. And so it's somewhat a little bit uh, different in each of these versions, but ultimately when you read through it, uh, it uh, makes sense. The RSV says, and you he made alive when you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. Now, the English Standard Version, which I think is a better translation, reverses that and says when you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, God then made you alive. So let's notice this text as we read it here from the English Standard Version, and I'll read from verse 1 down through to verse 10, and then we'll come back and we'll comment on it as we can and do some explaining. Now, Paul writes here, "...you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the world of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of the flesh, following the desires of the flesh and senses." And we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved, and raised he has God has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So several thoughts come crashing together here, right at the very end of that text in verse 10, that this this is a plan that God had beforehand, before we even came into the picture, before he even created us, that in Christ Jesus we would have a plan to follow as to how we live in such a way that we would bring glory to God. Now, notice how he begins this passage. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in what you once lived. Now, that's interesting because when we get down to think about it, we're not going to appreciate our salvation if we didn't think or believe that we were lost. And so the beginning of the gospel actually is that we were lost. We were dead through our trespasses and sins. And realizing that we were dead through our trespasses and sins, we can now turn to God through faith and by his grace we can be saved. Now, Paul does the same thing in the great letter that he wrote to the Romans, which is a wonderful gospel of that we are justified by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the main theme that you know that we have there at the beginning of Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, that is, the good news. And what is that good news? Well, we were dead in our sins. And God has made us alive in Christ Jesus. So let me read that again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. Notice that it is for everyone who has faith. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith, for faith, as it is written, He who through faith is righteous shall live. So Paul starts out with this powerful message that those of us who are lost because of the power of the gospel and the death of Jesus, we can be made alive again. That's just one little summary. But as you move down to verse 18 now, Paul will begin now to go into three chapters in which he talks about the fact, first of all, chapter 1, verse 18, down through to verse 32, that Gentiles were lost because they turned away from God. And then you think, well, the Jews would respond to that by saying, hey, yes, Paul, go get them. But Paul turned in chapter 2 to the Jews, and he says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, whoever you are, when you judge another. For in passing judgment upon him, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, are doing the very same thing, and so he begins now in chapter 2 to talk about the Jews and to point to the fact that the Jews had not kept God's law and the Jews were consequently lost. Then he comes on down into chapter 3 and he begins to say that the whole world is lost because the whole world had turned against God. But, that's a wonderful but there in chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now, the point that I want to emphasize here, that in Ephesians and in Romans, Paul is clearly stating that this gospel is for all who come to God through faith in Christ Jesus, who will then be justified by God's grace and because of God's love. So with that thought in mind, we come back to our passage here uh, in Ephesians. And I want to pick up with just reading the text again and commenting on it as we go through. But you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power in the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses. And we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. Now, if you're looking at your Bible there, you'll see that following the fact that God has made us alive together with Christ— there is a little dash. And you read, by grace you have been saved. And another little dash. Paul is inserting this thought into what he's just said there. He says, God who is rich in his mercy, you see, has made us alive. Now let's just catch on to this. How did he do it? By grace we've been saved. And then in verse 6, he has raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, In the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable grace of his riches in grace, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For you, by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This salvation is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For We are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Now, let's just pick up as he created us for good works. Now, if we're working in the context of Ephesians, what good work or good works has God created for us in Christ Jesus? Well, we just go back to the passage that we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 10. God created us in Christ Jesus so that we may so live our lives that we bring glory to God through Christ Jesus and in the church. And so the good works that he has in mind for us, that he created for us before the beginning of the world, is that we would so live our lives in such a way that we would bring glory to God through Christ Jesus And in the church. Now, when I first read that passage, it gave me some problems that I sort of asked myself, well, what kind of God is this that he has a plan that we can be saved in Jesus Christ? And the end result of that is that we would so live our lives that we bring glory to him. But then when you think about that, if we so live our lives that we bring glory to God in Christ Jesus and in the church, Who is the major beneficiary of that? Why, obviously, it's us. Because, you see, as we live our lives so that we bring glory to God, we are the ones who are blessed. And you remember in Ephesians chapter 1, as we began our passage this morning, we notice where Paul starts to talk about this. He says that God has done this in Christ Jesus. He has given us every spiritual blessing. Notice chapter 1 of the Ephesians in verse 3. Blessed be the God. In other words, praise God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There isn't a spiritual blessing that we need that God hasn't already provided for us In Christ Jesus. He mentions several of them as he works through this text here in Ephesians chapter 1. Because he says, in him we have redemption. God has brought us back to himself through the blood of Jesus. He's given us the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he has lavished upon us. And so God has redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He's saved us in Christ Jesus. He's given us every spiritual blessing. And so you can see that in this business of our living our lives so that we bring glory to God, we are the beneficiaries because of what God has done for us. Now, I just want to stop and talk a little about this little statement here. For by grace you have been saved. Now, we know that the word grace basically means... God's favor. Uh, God has favored us. He's showered upon us this wonderful spiritual blessing which we didn't deserve, that we might be saved, that we might be redeemed. And so it's by God's grace, working with his love, that we have been saved. Now, I like this word saved because the word actually in Greek has a wide range of meanings and fundamental to those meanings lying at the very heart of it is the sense of healed and this is the word that is used for healing in the new testament as well it's the same word as saved soteria which means saved or healed i like that thought that i was broken in this world because of my sin I had no future and no hope in this world because of my sin. But in Christ Jesus, God has healed me. He's made me right again. He's put me right in our relationship together. And so, for by God's grace, we have been saved and healed. And he goes on and says, He has raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. And so we share in Jesus' resurrection to the very presence of God. Now Paul touches on that in Romans chapter 1. You'll remember when he's talking there to the Roman Christians and he says, Do you know what happened when you were baptized? Do you remember you were buried with Christ and that you were raised with Christ to walk in newness of life again? And so you see he, he touches on the same thought there we have been raised in Christ Jesus. For he says in verse eight, by grace you have been saved. Notice that little word through faith. Now faith is something that you do. You have to believe. This is something that's part of your life. Now some folk that follow this Calvinistic predestination mode say no. Faith is not something you do. God, by his grace, gives you that faith by which you are saved. I don't think that's what the New Testament is teaching. When we're told that we need to have faith in Jesus, we need to have faith in God. It's something we do. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. That is through believing. Now this salvation here is not your doing, it is a gift of God. He's not saying here that faith is the gift of God. It's salvation that is the gift of God. For by grace you have been saved, comma, little passage then, it is the gift of God. Salvation is not the result of our works so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us and created in Christ Jesus for good works you know that that raises some interesting questions uh, that has to do in this business of salvation okay when i have faith in god when i have faith in what he's done in jesus christ i'm just trusting in what he's done and because of that i am then baptized so that i may Have those sins forgiven and be raised to walk in newness of life. Now, the thing that we're thinking about here is well, in my baptism, who is doing the work? Who is doing the saving? It's not me. It's God in my baptism who is working and doing the saving. I'd like you just to turn over to Colossians and chapter 2, and we'll read together here. Uh, from, oh, let's see, the verse 2 we'll pick up with here, verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In other words, here is something that is happening to us that brings us into this covenant relationship with God. But it's not the Jewish kind of circumcision that's made with hands like putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision. But here is by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. And you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And so in the resurrection of Jesus, it was God who was working. And in our baptism... It is God who is working and who is raising us with Christ into eternal life. So the point that we need to notice as we look at this particular passage of Scripture, which is so wonderful, is that Paul is saying here, at one time you Gentiles were completely lost, but God in his grace has saved you. According to the plan that he had before the foundation of the world that in Christ Jesus you could be his children and could be saved. Now in our next lesson we're going to notice from verse 11 that Paul will say to these same people here notice chapter 2 and verse 11 Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision uncircumcision Of Jesus Christ. And that's where we will pick up our lesson next week. But I wanted you to see that Paul is saying to these Gentiles, you need to remember what God has done. At one time, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But now, by His grace, He has saved you according to His eternal plan and purpose. And He saved you through your faith in Jesus Christ and what God was doing for us in Jesus Christ. So I hope you have a good week and read ahead to be ready for us when we gather together next Tuesday to follow up with this lesson.